Good evening. Good to see you guys. If you're here, I'm assuming you defeated influenza A or you just don't care. You're like, I don't have kids. We don't have the little Petri dish of children running around our house, so we're fine. But yeah, man, it's been pretty crazy. So next Wednesday, we will not have our Wednesday service because we will be getting ready for our Christmas services. So we have Christmas Eve service, of course, Saturday night, six o'clock. Matt shared about that, opening up the doors, everybody together. And then Christmas morning, 10 a.m., we're looking forward to that one as well. So we're gonna be in 1 Corinthians chapter eight tonight. Let's go ahead and pray. Father God, we do lift up those who are dealing with all kinds of illnesses and things in their homes right now. We just pray that um, it would just stop where it's at, Lord, that you would heal little kids and um, families and, and get homes um, healthy and back, in, back in the swing of things for all these kids that are missing school or not able to come to church. We just pray that you would be with them and, and strengthen them against whatever it is. Uh, Father God, we thank you for your word Thank you that we can have a personal relationship with Yahweh, with the creator of everything who has made us and who knows us and who has made a way for us to have a personal relationship with. So I pray tonight as we study your word that we would learn more about you and what you would have for each one of our lives. Pray that you would be blessed here tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. So we are not, um, we, we haven't had a dog for a while in our home, um, like animals and all that stuff, but we got really busy with our kids and everything. So for about 10 years, we didn't have a dog. And about six or seven months ago, we got a German Shepherd puppy, and she's been awesome. She's great, very well-trained, very smart, all of that stuff. But we did have to get the shock collar. I know that's gonna probably break some hearts here, but we do have a little shock collar. Some people are okay with it, some people not. Don't turn me into PETA, please. But it's for her safety, really, because we kind of live in a, in a busy area, and so we wanna keep her out of the street and all of that stuff. And so we'll put it on from time to time. We had to kind of teach her not to bite. You know, sometimes we'll have little kids in our home and stuff, and so just kind of teach her some of those things. And you only really have to do it a couple times, and then you just pull the thing out, and they stop, right? So... A couple weeks ago, holidays are here. My wife's family is up from LA and, and her sister and her husband have a couple of little kids. And they have a four-year-old and they have a one-year-old, two little boys, full of energy, rambunctious, and a lot of fun. And we also have a puppy. So things are kind of a little crazy in, the, in our family room for a little bit. And I'm like, you know what? I gotta put the dog outside. So I put our dog out in the backyard. We got this big window where you can see and it's at night, but you know, we can see her out there. Things are pretty lit up and stuff, and she wants to be inside with everybody. And I'm watching our uh, one-year-old uh, nephew, and his name is Bowen. Little Bowen is walking around, and he's kind of playing with something, and I'm just talking with everybody, not really paying attention. And I'm looking out in the yard, and our dog is like jumping back and forth and like running and like stopping and looking, and her ears are like going down, and she's running and looking. And then I see like the little light on her collar is going off. And then I look down, and Bowen's got the remote, and he's just walking around. He's just randomly beeping it, pushing it. And our poor dog is just like, what do you want me to do? Where do you want me to go? Stand here, stand there, I don't know what to do. Yeah, poor thing. But 
She's all right. It, it, it's, it's not that bad. She's fine. But it, it kind of reminds me sometimes, like, I feel like sometimes Christians that, that maybe are new believers or maybe not well-versed in God's word, a lot of times they're just like, I don't know where I'm supposed to be. I don't know what to do. Man, please pray for me that I would get direction from God. And there's some things they're just like kind of bounce around on. And hopefully as you mature in your faith, there are things that just kind of, you'll look back on your life and you're like, man, I can't even believe that that was really something that I had question about or that I struggled with. Tonight, in this letter that Paul writes to the Corinthians, he is addressing a topic that has come up in dispute between two groups of people in the church in Corinth. As you know, it's been mentioned a few times, this is called an occasional letter. It's where Paul addresses something that has been brought to his attention. Uh, There's an issue in the church that he needs to straighten out. There are some people that say, if Paul were alive today, he would write a letter to the American church. Hopefully not Ashwater, I don't know. But So in Corinth, where he's writing, there's a geographical mix of cultures that have have converged in this area. It's, It's roughly halfway between Athens and Sparta. There's a lot of money, big entertainment area, a lot of travel and trade and transport, uh, like casinos and things like that are there. Um, So there's money flowing in and out. And like I said, a lot of travel and stuff, so you have a lot of diversity there. Well, it's also an area where the slaves that were freed from Athens would be sent. They would be sent to Corinth. So lots of opportunity for ministry for Paul. Lots of different backgrounds, lots of different stages of walk. And that should be the case, really, in the church. That should be the case for us. A homogenous, sterile church, free of any dispute or issues, might not be a growing church. It, might, it could be, but it might not be. Proverbs 14.4 is something that Matt repeats a lot with our staff. Where there are no oxen, the stall is clean. He says, man, ministry is messy. Like, let's just roll up our sleeves and get in the thick of it and do the work It is hard. Tonight's topic is about meat sacrificed to idols that is then sold in the marketplace. So what would happen is the pagan culture there would take the meat, they would consecrate it to the idols, sacrifice it to idols, and then it would get resold so that they could use it to look righteous and holy, and then they would also resell it so that they could make some money. So naturally, there were some people that were like, well, this is meat wasn't as readily available as it is to us today. So, hey, this is a cheap way to get a great meal. So there was people that were like, hey, I don't think this is a problem. We'll find out, this gets brought up several times over the next couple of chapters, again in chapter 10, in Acts 15, in the Jerusalem Council, they just come out and they just say, listen, we're not eating it. It's been joked that it's called demon meat, right? It's kind of a joke, but... The Bible has a lot of things that it's just blatantly clear about. Murder, lying, adultery, homosexuality, fornication, sex outside of marriage. All of these things that the Bible is very clear. Can't do this. This isn't right. This is a sin. These are the things that t- to stay away from. There are other areas, however, that need addressed. The gray areas. Paul will talk about, and we'll go a little bit further into it in a bit, using our conscience to be able to determine what God would want us to do. So our main issue tonight really is Christian liberty. We all love meat. 
We know we love our freedom. We've definitely seen that in the last couple of years. I think it's important that we should know as people living in 2022 in Western civilization in the United States, we should know our background. Colonists, they wanted their freedom. They left England because they wanted liberty. We should know people that came out west, which we're all descendants of, westward expansion. Man, I'm rugged and tough and I'm an individual who desires freedom and liberty and I don't want the government or anybody else telling me what to do and I'm heading out west, gold rush. Leave me alone, this is who I am. And those are our great, 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 great ancestors. Some of us less greats than those, not as far back. For me, I have to even consider my own past. My grandpa, so my mom is the first person in her family born in the United States. They're Irish immigrants. My grandpa fought for the freedom of North, of the North of Ireland, from the British. He was on the British's most wanted list. He was asking, demanding, and fighting for liberty, for freedom. My, my other grandpa, logger and just came out into the woods to just get away from everything else. So we kind of have to understand a little bit, like we have this thing inside of us, don't tell us what to do. We're gonna do it our way. It's in our blood, it's a part of our DNA. It is who we are for centuries now. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, right? That's not in the scriptures, but that is a part of our way of life. So. 1 Corinthians chapter 8. We're going to kind of do a little flyover of this whole chapter, look at the layout of it, and then we'll zero in on a couple of targets at the end. Verse 1. Now concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. That was a common phrase used in Corinth, whether you were in the church or not. Paul is using their own phrase in his letter to them to kind of illustrate this. All of us possesses knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Verse two, if anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. Paul immediately, before he gets into it, he really gets down to the heart of the matter. Listen, you guys all brag about all of us possess knowledge, but I'm gonna tell you right now, that's just the surface level. Knowledge is great, but without love, we know what the Bible says, without love, it's really gonna lead to pride. Paul knows in all conflicts, it can turn to selfishness and pride or can can turn to humility and love. Now, when he's talking about knowledge and pride and puffing up, I think we, uh, for me personally, I kind of get just, have you guys seen those videos of those birds where they are like mating season and they like puff out their red chest and it's really, like you could put a pin in it and it would just pop it, right? Like, but then Paul says what love does is it builds. There's something to it. There's something underneath. You look at picture, picture a home and like you can see the outside and it looks great, but really it's the foundation. It's the studs. It's the electrical work on the inside. It's the plumbing. It's all the other things really that are lasting that our people are going to benefit from. Verse four. Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence and that there is no God but one. Verse five, for although there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, 
Yet for us, there is one God, the Father, from whom all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things and through whom we exist. Again, Yahweh, God, these idols, they can't really do anything. They don't really have any power over you. Verse seven, however, not all possess this knowledge, but some through former association with idols eat food as really offered to an idol and their conscience being weak is defiled. So what is Paul saying here? He's talking about two different groups of people. And when he's talking about people who possess knowledge and then people who used to associate with idols, he's making a reference to those who possess knowledge. These are the people that come to us who are Jewish background, monotheism, Torah, law, morality. They have this foundation and this understanding of who God is. And now they're part of the church and they're following Jesus. And so they are the church. They know these things. They are the people who possess this knowledge. But he says also in this crazy, weird, mixed up town of Corinth with all these Gentiles that are not Jews, they are now coming into this church. And he says, they formerly associated with idols. The modern day equivalent, he's talking about people who have grown up in the church and people who have grown up with paganism, part of the world. That's the simplest way that we can picture what Paul is talking about. So he says here, the dispute is between the two of these people. And he wants you to consider the background. Now, for us, it seems a little bit like, I mean, we're talking about meat. Like, is this really that big of a deal? Had to be a big deal because Paul addresses it. If you, let me give you like an extreme, extremist illustration to just kind of shock our senses a little bit so that we might be able to, to gain a little bit understanding of why they're so upset about this. Picture um, maybe a, a, a woman who was, I don't know. Again, let me, let me just shock our senses for a second. In prostitution and, and um, sex trafficked and maybe in a brothel or something like that, she has been saved and redeemed and taken out of that and has a brand new life. And that place has been redeemed. This building is new and it's for sale. The husband knowing what has occurred and happened there would never for a second, no matter how cheap or good of a deal that home would be, would never for a second consider putting his wife through that. Never for a second. And so Paul wants us to understand Man, the mature, loving Christian needs to think in these terms. Verse eight, food will not commend us to God. Paul's like, man, listen, I want you guys to know something. The food isn't gonna make you more holy or less holy. Food will not commend us to God. We're no worse off if we, if we eat it or if we don't eat it. No better off if we do. Verse nine, but take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. He's like, listen, I mean, obviously Paul has not eaten bacon or a filet mignon, like a bacon wrap filet mignon. There's several foods that Paul obviously has not had that really make you feel like you're closer to God. But Paul's like, listen, I don't want you guys to think like, right, in and out cheeseburger. He's like, listen, I don't want you guys to think the things that you're, that you're eating 
I don't want you to think that those things are gonna somehow make you more or less holy, right? <clears throat> the immature Christian is going to be more concerned about their rights than the kingdom. Paul wants us to know, man, I want you to think a little bit bigger than this. 2022, what is it that might stumble? Drinking, smoking, clothing, entertainment, church gathering. So you take the person who is churched their whole life, who's grown up in what they feel is maybe a legalistic home, they always had to go to church, they always had to be there, they always had to do this stuff, or they might somehow have God looking down on them in some bad way if they missed a Wednesday or a Sunday. And then you have the other new believer who is not used to this beautiful new thing that they are experiencing on a Wednesday or a Sunday, coming to the gathering, and they just can't get enough of it. And then this one discovers, well, I mean, it's not that big a deal if I miss a Sunday, but they take that freedom to the point where it's like, I'm never at church. I, I listen to podcasts throughout the week. Or I'm in the mountains. This is my church. Like, hashtag blessed. And I get the sentiment behind that, enjoying God's creation. Of course, yeah, that's an amazing thing. And of course, you're not condemned if you miss a Wednesday or a Sunday. Of course not. But that's another modernized version of how you could be stumbling that person that really, really needs to be here. If they're not here, they're around loneliness and an empty life and maybe the people that are not believing and following the things that they're believing. So the immature question is, what can I do? It's me-centered. It's like those people like, no matter what the conversation is, it always comes back to me, to me. I got to insert me into this conversation. And as you mature, it's others and, and it's God. And then it's really, the, for the mature Christian, it's just it's a combination of those things. So it's not really, Paul's like, man, this isn't really about what, what can I do? I think we know the better question is, what should I do? What should I do? That's thinking outside of ourselves. We know Paul says all things are permissible, but not all things are profitable. So how the church interacts with culture has a couple of terms. One is called syncretism, like being in sync with something, syncretism. And it's the practice of combining different beliefs. Like we're just no different than the rest of the world. You couldn't tell our lives from the unbelieving world. And we know churches and people that live like that. In fact, I didn't even have to look for this. This just popped up in my feed this week. Jamal Bryant, Reverend Jamal Bryant of New Birth Church in Atlanta. He was making headlines this week because he said, we are starting something new. We want to gain the young black males through legally growing weed on our church property. It sounds like something you hear in Oregon, actually, not in Atlanta, right? Trust us, you will not hear that here. I'll tell you that much right now. They say how you catch them is how you keep them. If it takes weed to get you to come to church or to read your Bible or to have a relationship with Jesus, I don't think 
maybe Christianity really is what you're looking for. It's probably not your time. It's probably not your moment where you're desperate and hungry and thirsting for the living truth that God's word is. Paul said, man, I'll tell you what, I claim to know nothing among you except for Christ and him crucified. That's really it. That, that, that's the gist of it. I, all this other stuff, I don't care. It's about Jesus Christ and him crucified. Now, Paul has an awareness of the culture. He's not just a hermit. And he uses it, like we said at the beginning, he uses their own phrase. There's also another group called the separatists, advocating the separation from the larger group. A, a modern day example is um, homeschooling, which is like, hey, you know, we just don't really, I don't think that's really the best fit for us. We're gonna teach our kids at home. Praise the Lord. I actually, the, an, another news story that I saw pop up just a couple days ago, Midwest somewhere, they're trying to actually write in legislation that would outlaw homeschooling. I could not believe it, could not believe it. So the mature, humble, confident believer is in the world and not of it. Here's what I know. Whether separatist or syncretist, we have got to look different than a lost world. We've got to look different. We have to have hope when there is no hope. We have to be the ones that are loving people that are unlovely. We have to be the ones that don't care that we're in the margins, that we're persecuted. We have to be the ones that are like, I, I can't compromise God's word, God's truth. And we have to do it in a way that's not flashy and contentious, but, but again, loving and sacrificial and confident and humble. I'm telling you, the times and areas in my life, by God's grace, where I've been able to kind of be strong and set apart and steadfast for a period of time has been such an incredible blessing that I've been able to enjoy later on. People that I never would have imagined asking me about my faith or asking me about God's word or asking for some sort of direction based on God's word have reached out or called or texted or said they're coming to church just blows my mind those times, again, by God's grace, where I was actually able to, to live out our faith. He worked in ways that I could not believe it. Been shocked, honestly. Let's continue in verse 10. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge, basically, let's call them a believer, eating in an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged if his conscience is weak, to eat food offered to idols. And so by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed, the brother for whom Christ died, thus sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it's weak. You sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. Paul takes it serious. He's like, listen, two people could end up in sin right here. Like you caused it and then he followed the weaker brother is not just somebody who objects to a certain practice, but one who is in danger falling into sin. Um, I don't, it, so let me, if you watch The Bachelor, I don't judge you. Like, that's fine. I, I know people that can watch it and it's just entertainment and it's just a joke to them. It's just kind of laugh at it. But for me, in what I deal with here at Edgewater, with kids who have grown up in broken homes and seeing broken marriages and seeing 
the repercussions of those things for the last 15 or 20 years. I can't watch that show. God has put on my conscience that that is not laughable. I've seen the direct effects of it. Now, and again, I, like, I watch other movies. It might have some words in it or you know, maybe too much violence or whatever. God has not convicted my conscience of those things. I love like historically accurate like war movies and things like that or you know, uh, superhero movies with the kids and those aren't perfect. But for me and what I deal with, I can't make a joke of who your potential spouse is gonna be. That is something that God has put on my conscience. If somebody invited me, knowing that, to come watch that with them and talked me into it against me, like, oh, I don't think I should do that, blah, 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 and they talked me into it, we would both be in sin because one person has led me into a sin when I've said, man, I'm not supposed to do that, and then I would have ignored my conscience and then also sinned. That is what Paul is saying here. <clears throat> we won't talk about my edited playlist I have to put on when the workout is just a little bit too tough. So I grew up in the 90s rock and rap era, so I have to like, that's my weakness. I gotta watch that one. <clears throat> now, Big takeaways, big takeaways for us. Just like our dog running around in the backyard. Some of you were like, just tell me what I can do. All right, just tell me what I can do. It's not that easy. It's really not sometimes with, the, with these gray areas. Like Paul wants us to understand that there's so much more to life than just this set of rules that's rolled out like every other false religion in the world. Paul's like, man, this could be so much deeper if you really got it. We know the Bible is very clear. Like we said, there's some things it's clear about. Lying, murder, idolatry, covetousness, sex outside of marriage, homosexuality. Those things are very clear. The other areas in the gray areas of life, we have a conscience. And Paul says, pay attention to that. Now, what is our conscience? Three things. It's a God-given capacity for human beings to self-evaluate. God-given capacity for us to do that. The second thing is, our conscience bears witness. Paul says in Romans, it bears witness to the presence of the law of God that's been written on our hearts. So even if you didn't know the law, Paul says, God has put his law on your heart. You know right from wrong because I've put it on your heart. And then third thing, it is a tool for us. It is a servant for each one of us and it helps us with our values. Ideally, our conscience will function with the Holy Spirit through the truth of God's word to lead us. Like God's word says, it's a lamp unto our feet. And as you grow as a mature believer, you will see that. There are less questions about things in gray areas. They will happen, but they will happen less. Now, huge one recently, very huge one when it came to conscience. Anybody know what I'm going to say? What was it in the last couple of years? The vaccine? I cannot believe how many questions I got about the vaccine. I'm not kidding. Minimum two questions a day. Minimum. I'm, I'm sure, like, Matt was always getting questions. Mark was probably getting questions. Chad, like, healthcare workers and teachers. And there's no scripture that says any direct thing about a vaccine. There just isn't. And so, for many people, it is a matter of conscience. 
what is your conscience telling you? Now, there are some people that were like, forget the conscience. You're not going to tell me what to do. Bible says, refer to your conscience, right? So for us, my wife, without getting too much into her details or whatever, but about 12 years ago, she had, uh, she was diagnosed with an inner ear disease. And through some research and stuff, there were medications and procedures. And she was like, we're not going to do that. Like, we're too young to worry about that. We got really uh, aware of what we were putting into our bodies. And our health became very important to us. I mean, I'm not against medicine or anything like that. And, I, you know, I got a bunch of vaccines as a kid and all of those things. And I go to the doctor and I, if I really, really have to, I'll take a Tylenol. But we're very aware. We pay very close attention to those things. It's important to us. We feel like our bodies are something that we should steward well. And so me being somebody who had tested positive, I had the... I'd had no symptoms, but I tested positive for the antibodies, so I at some point had had it. My wife did some research, and there was some concerns with her and her inner ear thing. We just, we prayed, and we were like, Lord, what is it that you would have for us? And I sat in my office over there, and I was praying, Lord, give us an answer, please. Like, I want to be a loving member of this community. But I also do not want to violate the conscience that you tell me directly not to violate. And I just, I said, Lord, I know you're going to give us an answer. And I, you guys, I'm not kidding. Within seven, eight minutes, by the time I got to my house, I'm pulling around the street to come into our driveway. And God just says, Daniel chapter one. And I know that chapter so well. I could barely like get out of the car fast enough. I go upstairs and I flip open my Bible and I'm reading Daniel chapter one. And Daniel is taken captive in Babylon and they bring them all in and they want to say, this is what you're going to start eating now. And this is what you're going to start doing and all of these things. And Daniel goes along with everything, but Daniel says, okay, hold on a second. Let me and my guys stick with what we eat, what we put into our bodies. Let us stick with what we're doing. You can tell we're, we're fine. And then at the end of this period of time, test us. And if we are not just as good as everybody else, if not better, then, then we'll go along with your deal. But just give us this opportunity. And lo and behold, they let them do it. And afterwards, they could not believe how healthy Daniel and his crew were. And they just were like, this is amazing. And for us, it was like, you know, like got to fill out the paperwork. We're like, this is what we believe. It is a violation of our conscience. Not everybody can use that. I know what some people eat. I know what some people are putting in their bodies. Not everybody can say that. But we just said, hey, listen, like for us, there's a concern here and we're kind of taking care of ourselves and we're doing the, all the other supplements and we're doing all these other things. And you could legitimately say, test us. I actually had been tested. And it was, you know, for some people, I was like, that's God answering us. Like that, that's it right there. Now, next time, you can't steal that story unless you're actually really paying attention to those things. So I'm just going to say that right now. Here's the thing about our, our conscience. It really becomes molded and shaped by our environment and our surroundings. So it's written on our heart, but a lot of it is shaped by what's going on around us. And so 
we have to consider, are we being filled up with his truth? Are we being surrounded by godly people? I think more than ever, what we have seen in our day and age in this culture right now is that the enemy has twisted this idea of conscience and it comes out in this phrase that sounds really accepting and sweet. Your truth. You follow your truth. There is one truth. It is the truth of God's word. Amen? This is the truth right here. Now, how God is leading you in those gray areas, God will not contradict his word. He will not contradict this. How he is leading you in those areas might look a little bit different. But again, he will not contradict his word. So we're living in a day and age where these things are twisted. Our culture, I'll tell you, truth and family in our culture are under attack. Um, And it is creating, work with a lot of families, a lot of kids, a lot of parents, it is creating um, some great concerns. And you guys see it as well. We as a staff see it. I talk with teachers. Um, You know, my wife is is a school counselor the lack of truth in in a godly foundation has led to this spirit of confusion in the home. And the repercussions of that from the last few decades of that just continuing to grow and grow and grow is really creating a sad, sad society right now. We talk with lost and hopeless people all the time. And it's, it's the full spectrum. For me lately, it's been teenagers and it's been men, 25 and up. That's who I talk with that have this hopelessness that I have never seen before. It, it, the scripture that really, really moved me into ministry that really was kind of the wind in my sail 15 or 20 years ago was Proverbs 29, 19, where it says, where there is no hope, the people perish. And I just see like daily I see that. There is no hope for some of these people because what they are experiencing right now in culture is that anything goes. Anything goes. You follow your truth. That's it. That's all you need. In my opinion, I think what our community and the world is going to start to see and experience is that one of the top issues that we will face is a real health concern will be mental, spiritual, and physical health in our community. Those things to me are at the top of the list, mental, spiritual, and physical health. There is going to be a a huge need to kind of undergird so many people that are struggling in these areas. Thank God we've got the church. Thank God we've got faithful believers following God. Thank God we've got Titus 2 and we've got so many, I, I've got men that are like, man, I would love to disciple some guys. I would take a small group. I'll do a one-on-one with somebody. If you are somebody who is like, man, I have been in that spot. I am Proverbs twenty-nine, eighteen. I am in a place where I have no hope and I feel like I am perishing. Please reach out. Call the church office, send me an email. We will get you linked up with somebody. Now, how do we defeat this enemy? Biblical truth, Christian community, The closer you are to God and his truth in Christian community, the stronger you will be in your conscience being able to lead you and give you hope and give you direction and be a lamp unto your feet. As a saved, 
redeemed, regenerated spirit, decisions for us become less difficult. We can make decisions and go about our life with confidence and purpose and with hope. Um, I met with a few guys um, this week, John Stiegleiter and um, um, Sean Randalls. They do some work at Oregon Youth Authority. And uh, there's some people here involved with that, um, Eric Henderson, um, Jeremy Elwood, and they're planning some stuff for the Christmas thing. And the Oregon Youth Authority down here, um, they said, here's the thing, Carrie, like we can't just give them our phone number. We put, we, we pour into their lives and we, we pour so much into them. And then we let them know that, hey, we go to Edgewater so that when they get out, hopefully they'll call. Because what they said happens is for so many of them, when they get out, like they lose that community. And then who do they go to? They go right back to the group that was accepting them before, that doesn't have their best interest in mind. And then that all blows up and it just comes full circle again. Christian community, they said, man, you want to talk about how important it is? Just, just look at what's going on with those guys. They need it desperately. Christian community is good for smaller things. Like earlier today, uh, on my way to the church, I saw a guy driving this car and he's got stickers all over it, cat stickers all over his car. I'm like, bro, you need Christian community. You need some dudes in your life. You need some guys to tell you, take all those cat stickers off your car, all right? Or for like me, hey, when, when, when quarantine hit in 2020, we were doing like all the rest of you. We were pumping up our home gym. We were adding all these things and we were gonna get fit and healthy just like everybody else. And after about two months of recognizing that we were still stuck in our homes or whatever it was, I kind of started to give up on that. And the new thing I started to take up was taking my kids to Dairy Queen every night. And when I was getting nice vanilla ice cream cone and I have never been that guy in my life, but every single night we were there. And after about nine months of that, Thankfully, I'm in Christian community. I was in the pastor's office over there, and my dear brother, Chad Hansen, who sometimes, some people would say he doesn't have much of a filter, but he said, he's just working on his computer, and he says, Carrie, did you quit working out? <laughs> I was like, yes, as a matter of fact, I did quit working out. Guess what I did that afternoon, though? I went to the track. Yes, I did a few laps. But I'm thankful. I'm so thankful for that. He helped spur me on. In a serious way, I was talking with another believer, and he's talking about, he's like, man, you ever noticed that like so many people are just so wrapped up in their homes? You go to Home Depot, and it's just like full of people trying to create heaven on earth. And I'm like, yeah, man, those people. And inside, I'm like, hope he hasn't seen me there, because our house is a... 80-year-old home that's constantly, we're just trying to update and do all these things. Talking with another guy, and he's like, yeah, I was fasting this week. And I was like, man, I used to fast regularly. Like, I need to, like, that needs to be built back into my rhythms. Just being around other believers helps get my conscience back on track. Yeah, that's a healthy practice for me. I need to get back to that. <clears throat> now, Next Wednesday, I told you we don't have service. There are lots of ways that you can find community here at Edgewater. We do all kinds of things here. Next Wednesday night, since we don't have church service, I would ask you to consider inviting a family that you don't know or maybe marginally know or a neighbor or somebody in your community to come over. 
Instead of Sean Logue making a meal, you make them a meal. Take that opportunity to develop community because you guys, it is sorely, sorely lacking. We've seen the decline for years and it has accelerated in the last two years. So if you did that and you come back with a signed note, we'll give you a free t-shirt or something, all right? <laughs> to close, let's, let's look at the beginning of this and really see what Paul, when Paul starts these letters, he usually starts really with what the big point is. And he says, if anyone loves God, he is known by God. If you really know God, you are known by, if you love God, you are known by God. I love how James was talking a couple weeks ago. Have you not heard? Like, man, for us as believers, have you not heard? Christian, do you know who you are? Are you known by God? That's how Paul starts this section. Man, in the church or in our lives, we're gonna be around believers and unbelievers all the time and we can debate right and wrong and we can talk about black and white, we can talk about yes and no, or we can put those petty things aside. We can put our rights aside. We can say love is more important than liberty because I do understand this, that I am known by God. And if you're known by God, you'll remember he fully knows you. That's convicting for me. God fully knows me. Every dark, sad, broken, embarrassing, shameful thought, action, mistake, God knows it. And he still accepted me. He took me anyway. You'll remember in here and out there as you live and move amongst other people, you're made in the image of God that there was a price paid for you. And it just, it really kind of comes down to that. Do you know your worth? Do you know how much you're loved? Do you know the price that was paid for you? Do you know how much God loves that other person that really is getting under your skin that wants to eat the demon meat? He loves them. He died for them. When you're struggling with how far to go for someone, what to sacrifice, just let your mind wander for a minute and remember who you were before you came to Christ. The only way we are known by him is because of the work our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ did on the cross. That's how we are known by him. Fully forgiven and fully accepted. He resurrected our spirit. He made us new. He gave us life. He gave us hope. Gave us eternity. Gave us freedom. Gave us capacity to love and esteem others higher than ourselves. And that is love. And, and honestly, that's actually true liberty, really, if you think about it, that we're free from our own pursuits and desires to esteem and love others and wholly, truly feel, feel free to love in a way where we have no regard for ourselves. And then it doesn't become life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Really what it becomes is love, liberty, and the pursuit of holiness, amen? Father God, I pray that we would be people that pursue these things, that we would pursue love and holiness and righteousness. And in the areas of conflict or disagreement that we would, with love, consider how much you love that other person and we would consider the price that was paid for us. Pray that we would um, cherish that gift that we have been given in a relationship with our creator. 
I pray that we would all, no matter what age or stage of our walk, we would all continue to grow and mature in our faith. We thank you for this time tonight. Pray that you would bless the rest of this night. We thank you. Father God, I just thank you for this church body and this community of believers. And I pray that we would be set apart. We would look different in this community and we would look different in a way that would be attractive to a lost world who would really truly desire to know the one person, the the Lord and Savior that we know that could actually change their lives. So give us the right way to speak and act and move in a lost world that would bring glory to you and see lost souls saved for the kingdom. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. Thanks for coming tonight.